really joy telling people off. But for the good of your brother and sister who is sinning and maybe doesn't even know it. Remember I said, I reckon most of those stumbling blocks that we put down, we do it thoughtlessly. Wouldn't it be helpful if somebody were to point it out to us that we were doing it? Then we could change, couldn't we? Jesus says, don't tolerate sin. Don't just turn a blind eye to it. But he also says, don't resent it. When you've rebuked your brother, if your brother or sister repents, it is forgiven. You are not permitted at that stage to carry on thinking about it. You're not allowed to carry on turning it over and over in your mind and thinking about what a dreadful thing that person did. And uh, just to clarify, Jesus says you must do that seven times a day. Every time the person repents of wrongdoing, you have to wipe it from your mind. It is forgiven. And just in case uh, you're an accounting sort of person and you're waiting for the eighth time that your brother or sister sins against you, at which point no specific instruction is given, uh, I direct you to, uh, to Matthew 18 where the Apostle Peter launches a similar uh, line of questioning. Lord, suppose my brother keeps on sinning against me um, over and over again and it's highly irritating. Uh, how many times, says Peter, do I have to forgive them? Is it as many as seven times, he says, presumably trying to grasp for the the largest number he could think of, which would be reasonable. Should I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus says, no. I don't say to you seven times, I say 70 times seven times. And uh, just in case that makes you think, what about the 491st time? Hang on, quick maths check. That's right, isn't it? What about the 491st time? We're not to take this hugely literally. Jesus is saying, every single time somebody sins against you and comes back repentant, forgiveness, total forgiveness. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Go out of your way not to cause others to sin. Go out of your way and actually make yourself uncomfortable to call other people's sin to their attention in a tactful and gentle way. Go out of your way to forgive and forget every time somebody sins against you and repents. I call that challenging in a a pretty big way. And at every point, I find that that goes completely against the grain. But that is what Jesus is saying here in Luke. Well, that's sin. Faith. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Perhaps uh, recognizing the difficulty of forgiving the brother or sister up to seven times in the day, or possibly even more, the apostles turn to Jesus and say, Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. We can't live this sort of life. We need more. We need more resources. We need more faith. Um, And I I guess that sounds uh, like a good and pious and decent Christian prayer. 
But notice that Jesus' response is not to dish out some more faith. Or even to say, here is how you get more faith. Or even to say, your puny faith is very unimpressive. You, you should get some more from somewhere. He doesn't give more faith. He gives an example of what a really tiny amount of faith can do. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, for those of us who are unfamiliar with mustard seeds, that's really small. If you had that amount of faith, you'd be able to speak to this mulberry bush, which, for those of us unfamiliar with mulberry bushes, is apparently a very hard bush to uproot, and tell it to pull itself up out of the ground, zip over there, plant itself in the sea. I've never seen a bush planted in the sea. It sounds very difficult to me. But Jesus says, that tiny amount of faith can do it. I've um, occasionally struggled with this sort of passage um, because it seems to me to be patently untrue. And I, I'm going to work through this. I don't think I'm just sacrilegiously um, denying the words of Jesus. Because let's face it, if I were to order a tree to uproot itself and go and plant itself in the sea, it would not happen, would it? And neither would it happen for you. The point is not... If you have a little bit of faith, you can go around rearranging the landscape. I think the point that Jesus is making is that the power is not in the faith. It is in the one in whom you are trusting. See, a mustard seed is not a kind of denomination of currency of faith. It is not like Jesus is saying, you currently have a mustard seed of faith, and therefore you could do this much stuff primarily involving mulberry trees. Had you two mustard seeds of faith, you might be able to affect even larger vegetation. (laughs) That, I think, would be to completely miss the point. The point is that the, the apostles are looking inside themselves, assessing the quantity of faith that they feel that they have, and saying... This is inadequate. We can't work with this tiny amount of faith. And Jesus is saying, if your faith is in the God who rules the universe, how much do you really need? Actually, looking inside yourself to assess how much faith you have is exactly the opposite of faith. Because faith looks away from itself towards the one who is being trusted. Right? It's interesting, in our culture, that means immediately that the the kind of very prevalent idea that faith in and of itself is a good thing. You know? It's good to be a person of faith, to have a bit of faith. Well, I think Jesus would say, faith in whom? Faith for what? A kind of generic believing is of no use whatsoever. That won't even move a mulberry bush. The point is, in whom do we have faith and what is his will? And so long as we are following his will, the tiniest amount of faith can move 
not just a mulberry bush, but the whole of heaven and earth. Sin, don't cause it, don't tolerate it, don't resent it. Faith, don't try to assess and count it. Look away from yourself towards the Lord Jesus. And duty, this little parable. Suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. What do you say to the servant when he comes in from the field? Come along now, sit down to eat. Might he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and then you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Let's remember that when we're talking about servants in the New Testament age, we're not talking about hired help. We're talking about a slave, a person who belongs to his owner. And don't get into your heads the kind of North American slavery. It's not that brutal. But, but nevertheless, your property. Okay? And let's remember that that image of being a slave is one of the most prevalent images of what it means to be a Christian in the whole of the Bible. To be a slave of God, to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, is all the way through the Bible. And uh, it's, it's held up as a title of huge honour. The apostles seem very content to describe themselves not as leaders of the church or heroes of the faith, but as a slave of Jesus Christ and of God the Father. The point of the parable is that the slave doesn't do his work for recognition or acclaim. He does it because it's his duty. It's what he's there for. He doesn't uh, think it shocking, the slave, when having come in from a hard day's work, the master gives him more work to do. He's a slave. This service is just what could be reasonably expected by the master from this person. This is not a popular line of thought in our culture. The idea that actually my service of God could just be what is owed, that he's not going to pay me back for it, that there's not going to be at some point an opportunity for him to say, tell you what, take it easy, I'll, I'll take it from here. If he does do that, it's grace, an amazing grace. Because he has a right to expect from us service. Constant service. When we get to the end of a hard day, if we've been serving the Lord, we can rejoice that we've served the Lord. And we can say, we've done our duty. But we can't say, now, Lord, you owe me one.
Is there a, uh, a common theme that ties this discussion of sin and faith and duty together? I think there is. Um, otherwise it would be a very difficult passage to preach on. Uh, I think there is a common theme. Have you noticed that in each case we're being invited to look away from ourselves and towards others. In Jesus' teaching about sin, we're being invited not so much to worry about our own sin, perhaps Luke just thinks it's so obvious that he doesn't need to write, don't sin. But we're being invited to think about how we handle the sin of others. How we avoid causing them to sin. How we react when they do sin against us. It's all about our relationships with others. Or when he talks about faith, Jesus takes the spotlight right off of us and our faith and puts it on himself as the one who is trusted. Or when he talks about service, he immediately takes the spotlight off of me and what I'm owed and says, even if you worked yourself half to death, all you could say is, I've done my duty. What does Christian life look like? There are lots of different visions out there. Um, just a few that I've come across. There's kind of uh, power Christianity, which, uh, where the emphasis is very much on the miraculous and the expectation that God will do astonishing and amazing things amongst us. Or there's kind of um, therapeutic Christianity, the expectation that the Christian life is primarily about being fixed and healed by God, uh, primarily about my sort of hang-ups and quirks being gradually ironed out. Um, or this kind of mystical Christianity, which is sort of all about the quest for internal peace and, uh, and looking for that and looking to quiet my soul. This kind of hero Christianity, which is always looking for the grand gesture of service. Um, in the early church, people would have run out and tried to get themselves martyred. We're looking for slightly less grand gestures than that nowadays, but still, some sort of, here's the big push for Jesus type stuff. There's, uh, there's something in all of those things, of course. Uh, we do serve a God of power and of miracles. Uh, we do serve a God who heals and, and binds up broken hearts. Uh, we do serve a God who gives peace, peace that surpasses understanding, poured out into our souls. And we do serve a God who calls us sometimes to dramatic acts of service. But I think the vision that is being offered here by Jesus in Luke's Gospel is very different. This is not power Christianity or therapeutic Christianity or mystical Christianity or hero Christianity. This is servant Christianity. Always centred on others. Always about the small day-to-day -day decisions, not about the big leaps. Always drawing on what Jesus gives us in order to do what Jesus commands. Always looking to him for what we need but also looking to him for our marching orders. What should I be doing today? In what small acts can I serve others? Not being in it for the glory. Not being in it for what we can get out of it. A recognition that we are absolutely claimed in every single area of life for the service of the one who died for us. It is centrally important 
that we get this vision for the Christian life. It's not just centrally important because this will allow the church to work better, although it will. Not just centrally important because this will drive forward our mission into the world, although it will. Centrally important because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Centrally important because we call ourselves Christians, disciples of Jesus, and disciples are followers. And this is the way that Jesus went. If you won't go this way of service, of looking away from yourself, of looking to the interests of others first, then you will not follow Jesus. Think about it. When it comes to sin, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And how can I bear resentment against the sin of my brother and sister if I follow that man? Think about the simple trust that Jesus has in his Father. That he can stand in front of Lazarus' tomb and say, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I've said this for the benefit of those around. And then call a dead man out. Looking away from himself to the Father who hears him. Think about Jesus in Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not putting himself in the centre. Serving others, trusting God. Sounds really simple when you put it like that, doesn't it? Serve others, trust God. That, I think, is the vision of the Christian life that Jesus gives us. Question, is this really an attractive life? Is it an appealing life? Sounds like hard work. Sounds like I'd have to give up a great many things that I enjoy. Bearing resentment against other people. I kind of like that. Be honest, you do too. Got to give that up. Thinking that I deserve a reward for all of the hard work that I've put in in the church. I kind of like that. I particularly like it if other people agree with me. Of course, if they don't agree with me, that just gives me an opportunity to resent the way that they've sinned against me, and so that's all good as well. Or all bad. Um, I'm not allowed to do that. That is not an attitude that is open to me. That path of my self-seeking is completely closed by the fact that I follow a man who was so non-self-seeking that he went to the cross for those who hated him. Is it an attractive life? Perhaps uh, there are some people here who actually aren't followers of Jesus and who are looking in on this from the outside. And I could understand it if you were saying, this does not sound like something that I want any part of. I'd urge you, go back to the Gospel stories. Read about Jesus' life, because that is where you will find a model of service. And ask yourself, is Jesus an attractive character? Does Jesus' life 
seem empty and hard and futile? I don't believe it does. And some of you have been trying to live like this for years. And yet, it doesn't seem entirely possible. Perhaps uh, the main reaction that you have when you hear that all you're required to do, the only things that you're required to do, to give your life utterly to serving others and trusting God. Perhaps your reaction is, give us more faith. Lord, give us more faith. And the answer that Jesus gives is, if you've got just this much, if you can, just for a moment a day, prize your eyes away from your own inadequacy and your own troubles, look up to me and say, help, Lord. That'll be enough. It's very simple, isn't it, the Christian life? Not hard. All the hard bits have been done for us. All the hard bits have been done for us. All we have to do is follow along. And he promises to give us the resources to do it. I want to challenge you uh, to live this week in a different way. I want to challenge you each day to say, it is not about me. I'm an unworthy servant. It is about what I can do for others and for him. And then I want to challenge you to say, help me Lord Jesus. Go with me and I will follow you today. Will you do that? We'll fail. We'll fail. We will. But we should take encouragement. When Jesus says to his followers, you must forgive He's, he's only saying what God does for us. He will forgive. Every time this week, I utterly fail to live in this way. He will forgive as I come back to him in repentance. It'll be more than seven times a day. I wouldn't be surprised if I top 490 at least one day this week. But praise God, he loves us. Praise God, Jesus died for us. And praise God, all he asks is that we trust him. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love for us. All that we can offer you in return is only what you are due but we ask that you would take it. Take our lives as we offer them to you. Use them in your service. We prayed earlier, grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. We ask it again. Help us this week in specific ways, in the small decisions and the large, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve him and to serve others and to do it in the strength that you provide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing and remind ourselves.